You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I find a lot of wisdom that comes from your show. You interview different people and I know you just do an overall good job and you're a blessing to recovery in general. So I want to make that very clear for the record that I love the movement that you have, what you're doing, you're saving lives and you're educating and informing people. I think that's important. I want to thank my friends at Recovery Survey for giving me the opportunity to talk to them about my recovery journey. Thank you for having me on uh, the new podcast that you just developed, which is unbelievable, Recovery Survey Podcast. I really appreciate what you're doing and, and been doing and continue doing. My guest today is named Don Cummins. He is the author of The Prison Within, a memoir of breaking free. He's here to tell us about his journey with recovery and mental health issues. Welcome to the show, Don. My name is Don Cummins, and uh, I'm a uh, grateful recovering addict, and I am glad to be on your show, Brett. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to have you, man. I was looking over some of the stuff you sent me when we first started communicating, and you indicated that you had gone to prison for bank robbery, and man, that just that really grabbed my attention, and I, I'm looking forward to hear more about that journey. I'm, I'm glad to be able to share that story with you, and uh, glad that part of the journey is uh, in the past. <laughs> Maybe start from the beginning, kind of tell us about how you got into using drugs, and then what led you to robbing banks was that something you were doing to support your habit or like how did how did all that come about sure sure well well first i i began using drugs at a at a pretty pretty young age i was 10 i i started smoking weed stole some from uh friends of my parents and my parents had used and they had quit like a year or two before then you know when i started getting high i felt like that i found what life was all about you know, and before then, even at that young age, I, I was kind of uncomfortable in my own skin and I was restless and I was starting to get in trouble already. So I, I had some issues already going into it. And within a couple of years of getting high, I had become so out of control that my parents uh, had me committed to an inpatient drug program while I was in the eighth grade. They thought that, you know, after a, a couple of months that I would be able to come home and, and things would be fixed but they weren't. I started running away from the program and getting in trouble and stealing cars or bicycles to make my escape. You know, I wound up going to juvenile hall several times and and every time I would get out, I would get high again. You know, I was just driven to get high and I would turn to crime sometimes and tricks that I had learned, you know, being around the other inmates at at juvenile hall. And so I kind of started a life of crime, you know, And, and by the time I was 16, I was, I had escaped from a lot of different places, and I was sentenced as an adult to two years in prison for escaping from a youthful offender prison. So that started my journey. And after that, whenever I would get out, I would feel very isolated and alone. And I also felt a need to act like a real tough guy to compensate for my own fears. You know, I didn't know how to really talk to people. I didn't know what it was like to have friends. I never went to high school, and I never went to a prom or 
You know, I never really had a long-term girlfriend at all. And I was very self-conscious about all that. And I just had an overwhelming feeling that I did not fit in. You know, so that was hard. That was adjusting was hard and drugs were so easy. My addiction was fueled by getting high and all of that, but these deep feelings of of not fitting in and, and not being enough, not feeling like I was a part of any particular community really led to me just going back and back and back. And when I used, especially ladder, you know, when I, when I was, after I uh, turned 18 and I got a little older, I started doing hard drugs and would go on binges for days. You know, I would wake up in alleyways and sometimes mental hospitals. I would get delusional, think that the FBI was after me and peeking out windows, you know, doing a lot of hard, hard dope and crack and a lot of stimulants and stuff like that. And shooting, shooting drugs. And, and, and it was in one of those deluded states that I, I hit a couple banks. I wound up doing a few years for that and I got out. And uh, within a year, I wound up in the same situation. And I robbed six of them. So on that stretch, I did 15 straight. And at that point in my life, I had served over 20 years in prison. So finally, I got out. I had it made in terms of being set up. A lot of people, when they get out, they don't have a good support network, you know, and me, I, I did. My parents were still there for me and they loved me. And when I had left, you know, when I was young, 13, uh, we didn't have much, but my parents did a little better in the meantime. And uh, they had a rental house that they let me live in. They hooked me up with a, a laptop and a cell phone, which there, when I went in, there was no internet and I got out and, and there it was. They did a lot to help me get on my feet, but, you know, it, it wasn't enough. My feelings of not being part of were so great and so pronounced by that point that I shied away at any attempts to socialize or get to know people. And I wound up getting high again. And ultimately within, within a year, you know, I wound up robbing another bank. In the end, I became homeless. I, I was released from jail because I was in such a deluded state when I did that bank robbery that they considered me incompetent to really uh, understand what the hell was going on, you know? So I just kind of made the circuit of homeless shelters and mental hospitals and extreme homelessness for a while there. And one day I was like ready to give up. You know, I, I started going to meetings because this, this mental health program that I was a part of would take us around in a van to go, go to different meetings in the area. I went to one and I went to a workshop and I had a moment of awakening. They talked about the root of addiction is a self-centered fear, you know, and that kind of got me to thinking about my own life and what was going on inside of me. And I tried to get to the bottom of it with my own logic and rationale, and I, I never could, you know, but something about this went deep and I realized that I was afraid and I was afraid that I wasn't enough and I wasn't good enough. And I also realized that, that the truth was that I, that I was, that I am good enough. It's kind of hard to describe, you know, everything that was going through my mind into my heart at that moment. But up to that point, I had never been able to ask for help. You know, I would I would have the thought of getting high and I would have someone who told me, well, hey, man, just give me a call if you think you're going to get high. But I could never get to that point because it was like if I had an opportunity to get high or if money suddenly got in my hand, you know, my knees would get weak. You know, my stomach would turn. And just to be real, I would have to take a shit. You know, I mean, that's how just visceral it was for me. And I didn't think about calling anybody. But when I had this realization, it gave me a space the next time that I that all of that came over me and that I had an opportunity to get high that I, 
I was able to, to reach out and ask for help because on a really fundamental level, I had come to believe that I was worth it, that I was worth fighting for. So I did, you know, and I, I was able to put down the dough with the help of a sponsor and a, and a support group. For the first time in my life, I was able to, you know, have friends and who got me and understood me and I was able to interact with them and develop confidence in many of the things that I had never had an opportunity to experience, you know, with my, my history. So that's what like recovery was able to do for me, going through some steps and doing some work and taking a look at my life, my assets and my liabilities and all of that. You know, life began to do a major 180 for me. I was like a, a fish out of water when I was released. And, and after I was released for a long time, my life did a, a 180 to the degree that I, I became a, like a success in a lot of ways that I had never really imagined possible for a guy like me, you know, and it was recovery that 100%, you know, that allowed me to do that. That's like the background there to what brought me to recovery. And, you know, there's a lot of details that I didn't cover, but big picture, that's, that's how I got here. <laughs> you touched on something that a lot of people have brought up and that I've experienced myself. And that's the feelings of inadequacy and, and not feeling like you belong. And that's part of the reason that I started using was I was trying to find people to accept me and like, I guess, build friendships because like you were talking about, like I was kind of that awkward kid and I didn't really know how to start those friendships. And like the kids that were using, like, when I was using with them, it seemed like I was part of that group. And so that was kind of what led me to start using in the beginning was just trying to feel accepted and feel like I was a part of something. Yeah, definitely. I, I identify with that all day long. You know, I've, I've heard it said, and I believe it to be true that, you know, that in, in a lot of ways, connection is, is the, the opposite of addiction. Mm-hmm. I believe that, you know, my experience, you know, my the long time in prison and the isolation and the physical isolation was nothing compared to the isolation that I felt when I was physically present with others and felt this huge barrier and this huge wall. So, yeah, I, I totally I get that. Yeah, I agree with you 100 percent. Looking back at it now, like that's one of the big keys, I think, for me as part of my recovery is those connections with other people. I probably wouldn't have said that when I first came in the rooms that that was what I really wanted or needed. But looking at it now, I can see that that those friendships and, and that camaraderie and us having been through some of the same kind of situations and had those same feelings and emotions and desperation and the loneliness and and all those things that come with addiction, like having those connections now where I know I can pick up my phone and call somebody that's been through similar stuff to me and they'll, they'll answer. That's huge. And I've learned about intimacy. You know, that was something that I never really understood before coming into the program. My understanding of intimacy was like sexual intimacy. And I didn't realize that intimacy also went into friendships as well and being able to be vulnerable and open and and share some of those dark secrets and those sick thoughts and like just being honest and and building those friendships and connections. Yeah, man. I'm I'm with you. <laughs> you know, the the vulnerability and taking the risks and and having the courage to do that. Yeah, that's huge and it it pays off, man. And I find myself always having to do that. I mean, just just getting clean 
and then you know building a life you know it doesn't uh, make that unnecessary anymore i keep having to do that on new levels all the time and when i choose to for whatever reason life gets busy my priorities kind of get out of whack for a while and they do every once in a while i'm reminded you know how i need to keep taking it to another level and keep applying a, pro- a program to my life and that this journey doesn't just stop you know and i'm glad it doesn't because man it's it's a hell of a ride what was your rock bottom? What made you finally decide that you had had enough? You said you got out of prison and then you ended up using again. Like what was the moment or what was the event that happened that made you get to that point where you were like, all right, I, I got to try a different way of life. I got to do something different. When I think about that, I think about a series of events, really, for me. It's funny how denial works. You know, when I think about it, how the truth can be so obvious to other people, but not myself. For so long, I was willing to tell myself whatever it was to make myself feel better. So, you know, I didn't see things for what they really were, but it it got so in my face at the end that I was suffering because I I couldn't stop using. I was very afraid to use because I didn't know what was going to happen when I did. It took a long time for me to realize that most people, when they're 18 or 25 or whatever, are not in prison for bank robbery. You know, I mean, as crazy as that sounds, you know. Uh, that most people are not homeless or waking up in an alleyway just totally dirty and stinking because they've just spent everything and traded their phone for crack. You know, I mean, no, most people don't get in this. It's not normal, you know, but somehow I would, I would make that normal in my mind. And well, I'll just get on my feet again and I'll make things right. And after a few really scary incidences where I almost got killed, you know, my, my binges were turning into like death wishes almost every time. Partly because I was so desperate, but partly because I began to loathe myself so, so greatly and to such an extent that I was taking risks that, you know, were just insane, man. And with a lot of guilt, I think the bottom line for me, really my bottom line was, was the guilt and the shame and the feelings of, of just self-hatred that, that come from knowing that I'm continually doing this, hurting anybody who cares for me. And I can't seem to stop and I don't know what it is. You know, I hear just just don't use or just call somebody. And for me, I was unable to do that until I had that moment of awakening. And it's different for everybody. But when I went to this workshop, one thing they explained is that, you know, part of of a spiritual awakening is however you think about your higher power or God or whatever, whatever that means to an individual that the commonality to it is that like, if you think of that connection like a like a pipe, like a big round, you know, something that's filled with rocks and all kinds of stuff in this, and what an awakening does is it removes some of that, you know, so you have a connection again. Stuff can get through there, you know. And when I had that awakening, it just it gave me, it grounded me in a way that allowed me. I really didn't have a choice before that, you know. So my, I think that my bottom like came from a series of incidents, incidents that just left me horrified with the person that I had become and and a disgust with myself that I wasn't able to stop. You know, I needed help. I needed a miracle. I'm really grateful that I got that, that helped me to ask for help. I feel like if somebody feels like they're not worth helping, then why would they reach out for help? But I kind of got a glimpse of that. That was the game changer for me. You know, sometimes when people ask me about bottoms, I, I like come up, I draw blanks because I've had so many insane bottoms that I, I 
it would be a good bottom for someone else but me. <laughs> for some reason, it, it wasn't that, you know, it was like more of an internal bottom, like a spiritual bottom. I had a, uh, a sponsor that I had for a, a, a minute there who he kind of realized that, you know, I was really struggling asking for help when, when I really needed to ask for help. And he, you know, he just encouraged me to make a decision that things are going to turn around for me, that my higher power would help me. And that the, you know, at the time I was struggling with whether I was insane or not, because I was in a mental place and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And I, I was trying to fix me and I wasn't good at fixing me. I needed something to help me, you know, and Anyway, he told me that, you know, that God or the universe or whatever that meant to me is bigger than my addiction, is bigger than my crazy, if I am crazy, that the answer is not within, in, in the sense of my own logic, you know, that the answer is, is my higher power, which I believe is within me, you know, but that if I trusted that and I believed that and I made a decision that help is on the way, that it would give me the hope to get through whatever period of darkness that still lay before me. To where I would be able to ask for help, you know, because he he understood that, that I was really struggling with that, and it wasn't an intellectual thing. Oh, I decide I'm going to ask for help from now on. I needed some kind of internal uh, event to, to to make that even possible for me, and, and and so I I took him up on that, and I just I decided that it was going to happen, and I just clawed my way till <laughs> that point came, man. And so, so I gotta ask on the bank robberies, man, were those like premeditated? Did you plan these out, or was it just kind of spur of the moment desperate for money i'm just gonna run in here and and try to get some some cash or how did all that come about on the bank robberies you know they always happened after i had been you know up for three or four days when i got the money i i definitely used that on drugs but there, at the time i was also i was literally like delusional you know i would think that you know i would think that the fbi was involved that i was on some mission it's so insane when I look back at that now and the way my thoughts played out. I, I never had the, the idea, well, I really need drugs bad, so I'm going to rob a bank. Banks are where the money's at. And I was aware of that. Banks have money. But I was really just, I was just really out there. Maybe on, the, on some internal level, that's how I justified it. Well, the FBI wants me to do it. They're talking to me. I hear them like a radio in my head telling me to go up to that place and do that. And that's some, that's some really weird shit, you know, <laughs> now looking back at it, I mean, and, and I, that sounds so strange, but that's where my addiction took me. And I think that my paranoia that, you know, I mean, everybody knows that, you know, you, you stay up for days and stimulants and all that, and you get kind of loopy and you get paranoid. But with me, that went to a whole new level. And I, I think that part of it was maybe I, I tend to be paranoid, you know, as it is on some level, maybe it was because of my conscious, you know, I, I knew... I knew that I was kind of like committing treason against myself. Uh, whatever it was, it really got way out of control when I would be up for days and days. And so that's kind of like the frame of mind that I had when I went in there. You know, it wasn't just to, to get high. It was, I thought I was on some kind of mission. And it's confusing looking back on it now. And the time that I, I received a 20-year a, a sentence, and I, I did 15 on that one, the same kind of thing played out then. And, and they, the courts weren't really... They were kind of aware that that played a part in it, but they didn't really take that into account when they sentenced me. And the most recent time, which was just like, oh gosh, uh, in 2009, that time they did. The system had changed uh, a little bit, I believe, and they were more aware of mental health issues and 
you know, I had been diagnosed as a schizophrenic. I had been diagnosed with a schizoid personality disorder, largely as a result of these things, you know, largely as a result of seeing a psychiatrist, um, explaining to them what had been going on with me. So they went to the slam dunk, you're a schizophrenic. That's, that's what it is, you know. But I didn't have those thoughts when I wasn't using drugs and I hadn't been up for several days, you know. So drugs had a lot to do with that for me. Some of the other diagnoses I had, like uh, schizoid uh, personality disorder or ADHD or some other things, you know, I think that, you know, I've, I've got some issues, you know, as many of us do. But I think that misdiagnosis is really, you know, I can speak for myself for sure. And I know other people that are in the same boat. Misdiagnosis happens a lot when people have been subject to trauma. They present symptoms that kind of indicate a mental illness when, when it really might not be that. You know, it might just be some other things going on that need to be addressed. I can definitely relate to what, what you're talking about, paranoia and stuff when you've been up for days and days and days. I've experienced that. I was the guy that was taping aluminum foil over my windows and adding deadbolts to my bedroom door and just convinced that there was someone spying on me. And like, I can definitely relate to that state of mind that you're talking about. And I think at least from my experience with all the different people I've gotten the opportunity to talk to, I think mental illness and addiction kind of go hand in hand. I think, I think a, a large majority of people that suffer with substance addictions also have some type of mental health issue as well as, as the substance abuse issue. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I totally agree. I was committed to a mental hospital when I was 14. It was mainly for evaluation to see if there was hope for me <laughs> before I was sent to the state reform school for, for boys. And they had diagnosed me as schizoid. And the reason they did that is because I had huge walls up and I didn't interact with the other kids that well. You know, I kept to myself you know, and they said that I was kind of flat and I wasn't really expressive with my emotions and so forth. It wasn't for the reasons that they thought. I had been through a lot of things before that. You know, I had been traumatized in ways I had, you know, on, on a few different levels, you know, when I was young and, you know, the experiences I had up to that point, I had huge walls up and I was afraid of intimacy and all of those things. And I was very reserved. And one of the cool things about uh, recovery that it's shown me is that when I am able to feel safe with people, then my, my whole personality changes. Now that I've got a little few days, you know, I'm able to consistently be that person that I feel like I was always meant to be. I don't have to be afraid and I don't have to be so reserved that I'm, I'm timid or not saying what I really think. And I don't have to overcompensate by acting like I'm a badass when I'm really not. You know, good mental health is, is you know, it's sanity. I swear to God, man, this, this program works. Uh, being restored to sanity, you know, a little more every day. Really grateful. That's one of the gifts of recovery is gradually we are restored to sanity and, and we start to learn and grow. And I think it's important for us to take time out of our day to do things that are beneficial for our mental health as part of our daily recovery regimen. I try to start my day off with a few minutes of prayer, meditation read a daily meditation out of a out of a recovery book and just kind of start my day in that mindset of recovery and contact with the higher power and just kind of try to get in that state of mind. 
Yeah, yeah, you're preaching to the choir, man. I <laughs> I experience that on a regular basis, you know, when I don't do my morning routine. And, you know, sometimes it's not, it doesn't have to be a huge thing, you know. It's like um, if I put forth the effort, even if it gets interrupted or, or something happens or, or whatever, if I'm not as mindful as I set out to be, the fact that I, I did the right thing kind of sets the tone of my day. But if I set, if I start my day by making excuses and not doing what I know in my heart is right for me, then I've just allowed some some bad shit to creep in. It's it can be kind of a slippery slope, you know. You eat that one cookie, you know, you're you're gonna you're gonna finish off that whole box, you know, on some level, you know. And so for me, that's how how it works, you know. If I if I don't put my recovery first at the beginning of the day or or if I don't get it right soon after, you know, some days my boys will wake up earlier. I have a, a four and a six year old and um, things don't play out like I expect them to in the morning. And, you know, but I, I kind of got to take a moment later, whether it's right before I go into work or whatever I'm doing that just for today, recovery is first. If I don't do that, then, you know, on some level, it, it goes downhill a little bit. And if I get into that pattern for a few weeks, then, oh my God, man. I, I find life can get kind of insane, you know. I'm nowhere near like it used to be, but but I recognize it. I can feel it. You know, I feel off center and I need a program, you know, I need a path. And I'm grateful for it. Absolutely, man. That was beautifully put. The thing that's on my heart to to share with people is that recovery and this program, it's a miracle. It really is. And that there is no limit to the growth that's available to us. And I didn't really talk too much about like where my life went, you know, after this. And and the insides, my life has become much more manageable. I feel much better about myself. Today, I love the person I see when I look in the mirror. That has all like manifested itself on, on the outside in many ways too, you know. You know, I was able to meet another woman in recovery and get married and have kids because I was willing to apply the principles of the program and then take some risks. I wound up getting a job, wound up becoming the director of software development for an international company that makes banking software. You know, and I got into speaking and and talking to uh, kids at high schools and, and doing some other things and wrote a book. And it's amazing what's happened in my life. You know, when I look back on it and I look at the person that I used to be, it's like, I can't even believe it sometimes, you know? I'm not unique. Recovery can do for anybody what it's done for me. And, and everybody's different in their dreams and what they want. Not everybody wants to get married and have kids. You know, not everybody wants to follow the same exact path and, and make the decisions that I made. You know, but I guess what I mean is that recovery is so powerful. It holds the promise of, of, of the life that each one of us truly wants inside and is fully able, able to deliver that. My message is hope, you know, that if someone like me that went from literally the absolute gutter to where my life is today, that absolutely anybody can have this life. That we just need to be willing to have the courage to ask for help. And if we don't believe that we're worthy or that we're good enough, or that we're, we believe that we're not worth saving, that we are. My story, you know, I don't want to make this into a big book plugging thing, but I do have a book that's coming out that tells my story for anybody that's interested at all. Yeah, yeah. Please tell us about the book, social media, website, all that kind of stuff. The book is, is called The Prison Within, A Memoir of Breaking Free. And uh, you can just go to theprisonwithinbook.com. And it's being released November 20th. You can pre-order it now. And you can also download a free sample of it. 
My site is don-cummins.com and social media, Don Cummins. <laughs> so you can look me up there and I'll be sharing, you know, I'm sure if, if Brett posts about this, I'll share it. I'll be in, in that or tagged or whatever. And so, yeah, I'm just really, really excited about, um, you know, doing what it's on my heart to do. And that's, that's just to spread this message and my book or by speaking or doing all those things and, and recovery works. It's a really awesome thing to be here today. And I'm grateful. Don, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. If you would like to get in contact with Don, his information will be in the show notes. Thanks again. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes. Hey guys, I wanted to let you know about an exciting new partnership with Broken Chains Apparel. They're a custom online shirt retailer that designs cool shirts for people in recovery. They want you to be proud of your recovery and wear it boldly. They're offering our listeners a 20% discount all you have to do is use the promo code recovery at checkout. Go grab your shirts today at brokenchainsapparel.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram at brokenchainsapparel.